I guess it all started on Thanksgiving. This year was going to be the last one we all had in our childhood home together before my parents retired to some island away from all their kids, which is awful all on its own. A couple weeks before, they had told us they sold the house, and my sister and brother acted like they were happy about it, but I didn't pretend. We all went to dinner at the house, and the whole thing felt like a wake for our childhoods. Maybe it hit me more because I was staying there for the holiday, I don't know. I watched my mom boiling potatoes in the big pot. You know the one. Every family has that super big pot that only makes its way out of the garage once a year. Well, my mom was making potatoes in it. And it all just felt so sad. And then, this is the moment that she decides to tell me that when they move, they're going to cut me off. Just like that. She said they would be retired and not have enough income to pay for a, quote, full-time grown child. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What the hell did they think I was gonna do now? I had rent, tuition, electricity, internet, food, clothing, everything to pay for with no income. You're gonna have to get a job like most people your age. You can make it work. That's what we all do. My mother said in a low key tone, like she was just asking me to pass the remote and not totally fucking me over. Just get a job? I said, it's not that easy. It's not like hospitals are just handing over positions of surgeons. And then she started laughing. <laughs> Vivian, she said, nobody is gonna hire you as a surgeon, that's crazy. Are you trying to kill people? You've been dancing around this degree for 10 years and you don't even have your bachelor's yet. You're almost 30, enough is enough. Wait tables, ring up groceries, answer phones, plenty of jobs pay the bills. If you wanna spend the next 20 years in school on your own dime, go right ahead. But we can't afford it anymore. I was so insulted I could barely see straight. I started pacing the kitchen like a caged cheetah, not saying a word. Please stop being so dramatic, Vivian, she said. Calm down and have something to eat. You'll feel better afterwards. That's what she always says. Like food will magically cure everything. I didn't feel like eating, so I took a walk instead. That afternoon, I'm sitting around the table with my perfect sister and brother and their perfect spouses and their perfect kids. Both of them had three kids, quote, so far, as they like to say. Who needs more than that? What are you trying to prove something? I don't see them seeking out a higher education, trying to unlock the mysteries of the human mind. The grandchildren are golden currency, so of course the two of them don't have to, quote, calm down and eat something, ever. They have their steady, boring nine to five jobs and their suburban homes. No, thank you. That's not for me. We get halfway through the meal and I notice that one of my grubby little nephews is picking the marshmallows off the sweet potato casserole, which is my favorite thing at this godforsaken holiday. I don't know where his band-aid covered filthy little hands have been, so I'll tell him to knock it off because the potatoes are for everyone and we don't want to eat his disgusting germs. Oh, ease off him, Vivian, my mother said. He's a kid. He doesn't know any better. I only made those for the children anyway. But I like them too, I said. Well, my mother said, stifling a laugh and sipping her wine. Maybe that says a little more about you than him. The table erupted into laughter. At first I thought I just didn't get the reference or something, but then I realized they were talking about me. I was the joke. Me. The only one in the room with brains, talent, and culture. What's they have? A horde of sticky gremlins who didn't know how to use a fork? I shoved my chair away from the table and walked off. Oh, Vivian, calm down. Have something to eat. We're just joking. 
My mother said through laughter as I walked down the hall and into my room, slamming the door. I didn't come out for hours. Not for pie, not to discuss where we would have Christmas, not to say goodbye to my siblings, nothing. I didn't see my parents again until the next morning. My mother was making coffee in her bathrobe and my father was reading the paper at the breakfast table like it was 1941. Good morning, they both said in their own time, but I said nothing back. Jesus Christ, my father muttered and breathed a deep sigh. I guess making fun of me all night wore him out. What, I said, what do you want? You've destroyed my home, my life, my career, and my education, and you want me to what, thank you? For Christ's sakes, Vivian, my mother said again, just calm down and have something to eat. You'll feel better. Calm down and have something to eat. Calm down and have something to eat. Calm down and have something to eat. That's all it was. After that, things got fuzzy for a little while. I woke up later that night with my head down on the dining room table, as though someone had just said, heads down, thumbs up, and I fell asleep. The table was immaculately set around me, and the soft piano strains of a Charlie Brown Christmas were trickling through the speakers of the house. Dinner was just about ready. It was warm in the house, so I could tell I had fallen asleep with the stove on for quite a while, and my head ached horribly. Next to my right hand was an empty wine glass, which is definitely why I was groggy. Why did I have to drink so much? I got to my feet and stepped over the groceries my mother had dropped on the floor when I caught her off guard in the hallway. I expertly avoided the pool of slick blood leading to the kitchen, the one I forgot about earlier and almost broke my neck. I always was a fast learner. I smiled as I approached the big pot on the stove. You know the one. The one that only comes out of the garage once a year. Well, you were right, I said, opening the pot. I really just need to calm down, have something to eat. I could tell from her eyes that we had reached an understanding. They said, I never should have doubted you, as they stared at me, solid and unblinking, from the bottom of the pot. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Thanksgiving. Ooh, gross. Gross love. <laughs> yeah, that is some gross love. <laughs> hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Boy, I sure hope everyone enjoyed Thanksgiving last week. <laughs> I, um, I forgot how wild that movie was. I know. We talked about it, and I was like, oh, wait, all that other weird stuff happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, Leslie, you discovered that there actually isn't a part two. No, it's, uh, so part two exists solely uh, with the fictitious characters and and things killing three. Like, huh. it's just a subplot. So they mention things killing two and things killing three, but it's just written in. So they yeah. skip two in the most confusing inside joke of all time, basically. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great, great. I think it was a marketing ploy, too, because they were like, if we have three, people will think we're legit. Like, yeah, we're doing well. I think maybe they just never thought anyone would watch their insane movies and didn't care, too. Yeah. (laughs) I think they were like, this is for us. Well, joke's on you. We all totally watched them. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
So it has been kind of wild around around our lives in general yeah. recently. There was a holiday. I'm moving, and therefore we would be dead as moving. I was supposed to go to Austria, but then COVID took over and locked it right the fuck down. Mm-hmm. There's a lot happening, so we had to take a pause for a minute. Um, we hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday and are now full of leftovers and ready to hear about some real gross stuff. Um, I sure am. Yeah. And speaking of real gross stuff, the Christmas stress is real and has left me looking far more weathered than usual. Mm-hmm. I really need something to rejuvenate my skin and leave me looking decent for our 2021 Christmas special because holidays mean video content. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, which we, John, if you're listening to this, please remember we have to talk to you. <laughs> yes. Um, so if you all would be so kind as to bless us with a little drop from that fountain of youth we call validation, we can all celebrate together with a few less nightmares. How do you do this, you may be asking, but only if you're new here. Well, first you can hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only thing that can move this podcast forward. And if you want even more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, you can support us over on Patreon where for just a few dollars a month, you will get a special gift from us, access to our patrons-only podcast, 30-Minute Horror Movies, which you all got to experience last week. It's lots of fun. Our weekly video after show, Host Mortem, extra mini-sodes, special offers in our merch store. The chance to vote on the topic for our 100th episode, which we should get that poll up soon. Yeah, for sure. An on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is too much for you, you can simply share anything on our social media feed to your social media feed, post about your favorite episode, tell us when you're listening, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell that PTA mom with the perfect teeth, because I promise you, with all the pressure she puts on herself, she loves to unwind with a good murder story. (laughs) What's her name? Oh. She's fancy. She would be Christine. Christine. All right, then. Tell your friends and Christine so that they can become fiends and we can all hang out together. We also have holiday merch to look out for. We got to we gotta parade that right back out soon. Yeah. Our Christmas um, deer skull. It's not even Christmas, really. It's just holiday. It could, it could really apply to anything. Mm-hmm. Personally, I love the posters, and I can't wait to put mine up in the new house for the holiday season. They're really cool wall art. And I think that's all I have for today. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? No. No, not no. this week. All right, then. Still full from turkey. I know, aren't we all? <laughs> all right, well, then sit back. On with the show. 55-year-old Lisa Guy was excited to retire. She left Jacobs Engineering, where she had worked in accounts payable for many years, on Wednesday, November 23, 2016, eager to see her family and enjoy some much-needed rest and relaxation. Lisa said goodbye to her co-workers and her boss, telling them she would see them on Monday in a bittersweet tone of voice. Monday would be her last day on the job, and though they were sad to see her go, Lisa's co-workers were excited for her as she entered a new phase in her life. The holidays passed quietly, as they often do, and early on Monday morning, the staff at Jacobs began to pull into the parking lot, ready to drag themselves through the stretch of hectic time until Christmas. I'm sure there were cards signed and cupcakes in the break room prepared to honor Lisa's retirement. I'm sure her co-workers were looking for her friendly face so they could say a few kind words and give her a great big hug. That morning, however, Lisa was nowhere to be seen. By the time mid-morning approached and there was still no sign of Lisa, her boss, Jennifer Whitehead, thought she had better give her a call. 
Though it was her last day, and there really was no work for her to do, it was wholly unlike Lisa to blow off work without so much as a call. In fact, she never missed a day. Also, it's so weird that she's retiring on a Monday. Your last day is a Monday? Oh, that's just, that's weird. After a holiday weekend? I mean, I'm sure there was... Maybe it was just because it was like, she was probably done, but she just came in to like clean everything out. Maybe. It was like her last scheduled day. Or maybe they scheduled it that way so she could just be like, oh, I just want to come in after like the holiday thing and say goodbye. Or like time's weird. Maybe she had to work one extra day. Who knows? Yeah. Um, But it just, I always think that's weird. I'm like, your last day was a Monday after Mm -hmm. a holiday weekend? Wouldn't you want to just be done before you leave? Well, she probably gave, whenever she gave her notice. Oh, yeah. You know, and because it was a holiday weekend, she couldn't actually. And because she's an honorable human that was like, yeah, "Yeah, we'll just make sure I have all the days. She's got to get paid for that. Exactly. She wants that money. Yeah. So Jennifer started to give Lisa a few phone calls and Jennifer got no answer. She also tried um, Lisa's husband, Joel. No response from him either. She called again and again and again. No answer. After lunch had passed, she began to suspect that something might be profoundly wrong. By the end of the workday, Jennifer was in a panic. Lisa had never shown up and failed to answer her phone even once. Fearing the worst, Jennifer called the police and requested a wellness check on her friend Lisa. She explained the situation to the police, and the Knox County Sheriff's Office sent over officers Stephen Ballard and Jeremy McCord to her home on Golden View Lane to check things out. Um, now, we're also in Knoxville, Tennessee at this point in time, which okay. I will re-mention later, but I realize I didn't say that here. So, just so you know, in case you guys have Knoxville images in your mind you want to conjure up right yeah, they're now. they're just like floating. Bouncing yeah. around. <laughs> Right away, when the officers pulled up, they noticed there is a for sale sign on the front lawn, but no lockbox on the front door, which is odd, given that's how realtors work. So if any of you don't know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't bought or sold a house in the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, you probably don't. Let me briefly explain. When you sell your house, realtors need access to it for showings. Any realtor can show the house, not just your listing agent. And it's crazy to think you can just give everyone a key. So you, the seller, because you're not present for these showings, give them one key, and they put a combination lockbox around the doorknob with a key inside. And area realtors can get the combination for showing. So everybody shares that key that way. It all works out in the end. Then the lockbox is left on until closing when the new owners are given the keys. We just got our keys. It's all very exciting. Anyway, the lockbox isn't there, so it's weird. And as the officers approach the house, they admit having an uneasy feeling. You know how sometimes you just walk somewhere, walk into something, and you're like, something's weird. Yeah. The door was locked, the front door, but through the windows next to the front door, you know, there's like, a lot of times there's like um, vertical windows next to the door. They looked through the windows, and they could see that there were bags of groceries on the floor with perishable items like bacon and ice cream sitting there to spoil. Oh, no. Yeah. Nobody just like leaves out a gallon of ice cream. Next, they went around to the back of the house where they found that the back door was missing a doorknob, but they peeked through the hole left behind. So it's just like the plate on either side and the hole where the Mm -hmm. doorknob should be. So you can't open the door. Then they noticed that emanating from this hole was like a very sharp, strange smell and super hot air making its way out of the house. Nobody likes hot air. Nobody likes, (laughs) you're right, nobody likes hot air. Through investigating a little bit, they could tell also that the back door knob had been removed and then relocated to the front for some reason. So the front door knob was the one that was once on the back and the front door knob proper is gone, perhaps to remove the lockbox. Oh, okay. Lisa and her husband Joel's cars were still in the driveway 
and as luck would have it, they were unlocked. Safe neighborhood, I get it. My old car had a broken lock. It was fine at home. Whatever. No judgment there. Mm -hmm. The officer then used the car's garage door opener to gain access to the house. So on the visor, the sun visor of the car, there's a little button you push and the garage door comes up. As soon as the officers entered, they were hit with an ungodly strong chemical smell and a wave of unbearable heat. Mm, They were probably making soap or something. Probably. Both officers said it made them very lightheaded and that the smell was something that they would never forget as long as they lived. Mm. So it was real gross and real hot. The officers then made their way through the garage into the house. And, okay, so I have watched the crime scene walkthrough and read the descriptions and watched the officer body cam stuff. So I'm going to do my very best to paint an accurate picture of this event for you. First, the garage they walk into is very neat and organized. There is a crossbow mounted on the wall and crossed fishing poles on another wall. There's a table set up with two chairs and an ashtray, so it's clear that they care enough about their house not to smoke in it. Mm-hmm. This is obviously the home of someone who likes is an outdoors person. Okay. Right? Um, the crossbow is not a scary thing. You're like, oh, they're hunters and fishermen. Right. Makes sense. Upon entering the house through the garage... Um, you walk into an eat-in kitchen with a small table that has a patchwork tablecloth on it and two chairs. The table has Lisa's purse, then both her and Joel's wallets laid out open neatly next to a sledgehammer, car keys, a wrench, and a stack of money. Weird. Ominous items. Mm-hmm. Then, once you walk a little further into this eat-in kitchen, you see on the floor that there are rows and rows of bottles of bleach, baking soda, and other caustic cleaning products lined up in the kitchen alongside a bowl and some drop cloths. Mm. Then there is a very large stock pot sitting on the stove, boiling. The burner is on. They are making soap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Through the kitchen, you get in a hallway, and in that hallway, there is a thermostat set to 90 degrees. The officers also began to notice that when they walk into a room, they keep seeing that there are space heaters set everywhere to full blast. So additional heat to the 90-degree thermostat. My house is insufferable when it reaches 80 degrees, so I can't imagine what that must have felt like to walk into. And then every room also has a space heater, so it's just hot air circulating everywhere. With the chemical smell. With that, like, sharp chemical smell. I mean, like— We'll find out later that after the cops go through, like, hazmat people have to come in to take care of the situation because yeah. it's extremely dangerous and full of, like, fumes. Mm-hmm. These officers probably should have had respirators on, to be honest. Um, and it was probably extremely difficult to breathe in there, at the very least. Mm-hmm. From the second floor of the house, they then hear a dog howling. The kitchen, they also noticed, was kind of in disarray. There is change and trash on the floor and items scattered all over the countertop. They enter a formal dining room, and there are two long guns laid out on the lace-covered glass tabletop, and through the dining room into the front foyer, they see the aforementioned groceries lying on the floor. So it's like cases of beer and then a bunch of plastic grocery bags that look like they've been sitting there for a while. And then through the foyer, there is a half bathroom, which is immaculately clean. Judging from the untouched rooms, it seems that this house is normally kept very clean. Everything has a place. There's no clutter. The mess seems to be an anomaly. The officers then travel through the living room, which is where they find the knobless back door, and there's another space heater running like crazy. Off the living room, there is an office. Again, the office is spotless. Okay, so this is the downstairs. That's the whole downstairs. Okay. If this is what they find there, I imagine they were, like, pretty trepidatious about going up the stairs. <laughs> be like, let's just get out of here. <laughs> 
So they steal themselves to go up the stairs and find out. And while they start walking up the stairs, they see little like droplets of blood and splatter. And you can hear an officer on the walkthrough call out, that's blood, right? And then he says, tells everyone to glove up. Mm. Which like, I wish the Italian police would take a memo from them. (laughs) (laughs) Once they're gloved up, they continue on up the stairs. And when they reach the top, a nightmare unfolds. The walls and floors of the second floor hallway are bathed in blood, like buckets of it. There were sharp objects on the floor, clothing lying around, and buckets, just empty buckets, which is also ominous, Mm. in the hallway. And now this led into, the hallway goes straight through into a small room. And on the floor in the small room, they could just make out a pair of human hands lying on the floor. No. No, no human, just the hands. The hands? Which is never good. I would think not. No. <laughs> why, why just the hands? <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, man. Yeah. So through the hallway, I guess there's like doors on the side of the hallway. So this, that little room would have been at the end. So when you look straight down the hallway, you see hands on the floor. Ugh. Yeah. So then they enter the master bedroom. And you can tell that before whatever happened happened, the room was neat. Because the bed is made and there's like plastic drop cloths over it, Dexter style. Oh, no. Yeah. And there's plastic drapes on the floor. Then over these drapes are like piles of clothing, work lights, Clorox wipes, chemicals, bleach, um, muriatic acid, and other kind of weird clutter, along with another space heater set up going full blast. For like trying to clean up this area, it's like very messy. Oh, wait till you hear what his reasoning is. Okay. (laughs) In the master bathroom... They then see, when they're approaching, two large plastic tubs. Now, these are the kind that you would put in your garage full of Christmas decorations or something. Big Rubbermaid jobs, not not little ones. And in them are what the officers call, quote, a diabolical stew of human remains. There are limbs and pieces liquefying in a very sharp-smelling chemical. Remember, you assume acid. The insufferable heat making it all the more nauseating and quicker. And he's doing that in the plastic bins? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that deteriorate over no, time? No, because it's hydrochloric acid, not oh, hydrofluoric acid. Right. We all can learn from Walter White. It's fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about the acid in a minute because you know I can't resist a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd like to understand this. <laughs> Excellent. In the upstairs laundry room, which is another, you know, because we're still in the upstairs hallway, we've only done the master bedroom, the officers find, I know, the source of the barking, which is the family dog, his name is Jake, who had been left locked up in this little laundry room without heat, in the heat, rather, without food or water. But at least he was away from. He was. (laughs) He was away. And he wasn't in good shape when they found him. He's tired and dehydrated, but rescuable. Okay. The dog did not die, you guys. Don't worry. Jake is a cute mid-sized like red-colored dog. I'll post a picture of him because I know everybody wants to see the dog. Don't lie. You're all wondering about him. No, puppers. <laughs> I know. And I'll get down to like how what happened to Jake later, but it's good. Don't worry. He's fine now. All right. So Rest they st- easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They find that um the room at the end of the hallway, because they hadn't really gone all the way in it. They see the hands and they're like, we should keep looking for other stuff. Hmm. So then they go back around to go <laughs> in it. <laughs> and they see that it's been outf- outfitted like an exercise room or a home gym. So there's like a bow flex and free weights and mats and stuff. And it looked as though, obviously, some horrible violence had occurred in there. 
The blinds are torn. The Bowflex is overturned on its side. Blood is smeared all over the floor, pooling in corners. And it's on the walls. It's just everywhere. So obviously, like, a really violent fight had happened in this room. Man, that's just like anybody's home gym where there's just a lot's going on in there, but none of it's working out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. This this isn't great. Just your hands? Come on. (laughs) And then, having found evidence of both violence and body disposal, the officers had one final epiphany. Alarm bells start going off in their mind about that stock pot in the kitchen Uh that was actively boiling on a burner. Right. This is what I've been worried about. Mm -hmm. So if somebody there... Running down the stairs, they want to see what fresh hell awaits them. They remove the lid of the pot to discover Lisa Guy's severed head Mm -hmm. looking back at them. Ugh. Yeah. But then, like, is this guy in the house? No. Or I don't know who, who... They don't know that at this point, Yeah, they though. don't They know. really don't. He's The person is not in the house. Okay. I'll get to that later. But, like, officers don't know that. And they go on in later interviews to say, like, after the downstairs part, they're like, this is weird, but they felt like maybe someone had been injured. Like, they had fallen and had been doing something, and they didn't know what was going on. Like... Okay. They didn't immediately go to, oh, this is probably a dismembered body right. upstairs. I mean, how could you? So they were, like, calling out for people, like, you know, Sheriff's Department, Knox County Sheriff's Department, you know, come out, like, call for us or whatever, and just nothing. But her head was just in there. Yep. All present body parts are then gathered, and, you know, hazmat crews come in to gather them up and send them off to the medical examiner's office. And there was such an extensive amount of evidence at that crime scene that it took days to collect. Mm. But it was immediately clear who was to blame for these events. You see, in that house, there was only evidence of one other person besides Joel and Lisa, the only person who had been staying in the home, the person who had left evidence of his involvement positively all over the crime, Joel and Lisa's youngest son, Joel Michael Guy Jr. Oh. Yeah. Now, Lisa and Joel have other children as well, Joel has three daughters from a previous marriage, whom Lisa also saw as her own. They were a very functional, blended family. Um, the girls' names are Shandice, Michelle, and Angela. And they are all notified by the police at this point that their parents were found dead. But there's something strange about the situation because they were told they could not come down and identify the bodies. And the kids are like, I mean, they're, they're very identifiable people. They have like super 80s kind of look going on. They're always very tan. They love to be outside in their bathing suits. They're very Key West type people. Okay. So she's like, you know, we can come. It's easy. And the officers were like, mm, mm we can't, none of that matters. We just, this is all we can tell you right now. So they were like, oh, mm. what has happened? Right. And that, can you imagine that being all the information you're given? No. I would be off my mind. I don't know what I would do. How do you also, how do you like gently tell someone their parents have been dismembered and dissolved in acid? I don't think there's any way. There isn't any way. There really isn't. And later in like their um, like victim impact statements, one of the sisters is like, I will never, never get back the moment where I had to tell my children their grandparents were like cut apart and dissolved in buckets of acid. Because it's all over the news. There's Mm -hmm. no way they're going to go through their life and never find that out. Right. It's like, oh, Lord, that's grisly. So obviously it's going to take a little time for a medical examiner to piece everything together given what she had to work with and the fact that they're all like marinating in caustic chemicals. So let's take a second to answer some of the glaring questions left hanging at present, starting with who the hell is Joel Michael Guy Jr. and why did he do such a horrific thing to his parents? 
And the thing with that is I can fill in the, like a lot of the gaps, but I don't think there will ever be an adequate explanation for what happened in that house. Oh, oh, good. It's crazy. <laughs> but in the entrance of full disclosure, we will start at the top. Joel Guy Sr. was born in 1955 and had a career as an engineering designer. He married in his youth and had three daughters before he and his first wife divorced. In 1985, Joel remarried a woman named Lisa Madere, or Madere, M-A-D-E-R-E. And the two had a lot in common. They both loved the outdoors, being on the water, and each other's company. They are said in multiple sources to have shared a sense of humor and spent most of their time laughing. They bought a beautiful home in Knoxville, Tennessee, where Joel's girls would come to visit every summer. So they would spend the summer with them. They came for holidays and stuff too, but like the summer was a thing. And the girls loved Lisa right away. Frequently, a stepmother isn't given this courtesy, but Lisa was warm, welcoming, kind, and treated the girls like princesses. Their biological mother was a kind woman, but she didn't have much. So visiting their dad and Lisa was always a welcome experience. The house was quoted many places to be kept spotlessly clean. So I was right in my original assumption. They were clean people. They had regular home-cooked meals. Lisa and their dad were happy and quick with the joke. The fridge was always stocked. It was just like a good family home to be in. Yeah, sounds nice. So three years after their wedding, Joel and Lisa decide to have a child of their own. And their only son, Joel Michael Jr., was born. So the family calls him Joel Michael. In every article you'll read, they call him Joel Guy Jr. or Joel Jr. or Guy Jr. But I'm going to proceed calling him Joel Michael because that is how he is referred to as pe- by people who know him. Okay. So in the interest of remaining human, which is what we always do, that's how we're going to do this. So, Leslie, Joel Michael Jr. was born in 1988. So why don't you tell us a little bit about 1988 yeah, to break sure. up this fun moment we're all having? I would love to. Perfect. So when you first gave me this date, I was like, okay, that's like so long ago, such a time period. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mostly thinking, I don't know why my brain went to like 60s and 70s. And then I realized that as nope. I was typing it in, I was like, oh, wait, he's a year younger than me. Yep. <laughs> and then uh-huh. I felt really old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So since I was born uh, just a year younger than him, I realized that he's a 90s kid like me. And so I decided to, like, talk about things that I did as a kid in the 90s to get us into that mind frame. Bring it. I want to hear it. What he might have been like. All right. So skip it. Love a skip it. The best. Skip it. Skip it. (laughs) I know. I remember this toy being so cool. Um, I don't think I owned one, but my neighbors did, and I was always jealous. So whenever I went over their house, I'd always, like, play with the skip it. I was so bad at it. Um, it was, well, it was really good until you hit your ankle. And then you were screwed. Yeah, Yeah. that hurt bad. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) (laughs) The other fun game to play was Bop It. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pass it. Spin it. (laughs) Bop it. Bop it. (laughs) Uh, Renting movies at Blockbuster was everything in my life. For sure. And you (laughs) always kept that one in the back of your car, then you got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that was just me. Because then you owed more than it would have been just to buy it. I know. I'm like, I had screamed through three for like two weeks, and now I owe you $95? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to keep Scream 3, and we're never talking again. Yeah. There's another blockbuster I, I can go to. I wonder why it went bankrupt. <laughs> I guarantee you I still have Scream 3 somewhere. Right. <laughs> uh, it was, okay, the excitement you would feel when you opened your lunchbox to see that your mom packed a Dunkaroos. Oh, shit. They're back now. I know they are. I like get some at Wawa sometimes. That's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
Uh, do you remember the L'Oreal Kids shampoo and conditioner? They it smelled the, like bubble gum and stuff? Yeah, it was like strawberry mm-hmm. and other things, and they were like the no tears. Yeah. So I thought that it was no tears, which it may have been, but it was no tears, like for your hair. Oh, Johnson & Johnson's were no tears because the formula yeah. was made so that it didn't sting your eyes. Right. So that's what we thought that this was, but on the back, I forget what it says, but it, it does specifically, you're like, oh, that that word should have been tears. No tears. Huh. Maybe they That's thought right. they were getting around the Johnson & Johnson trademark because the No More Tears is like the name of the Johnson & Johnson right. shampoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> L'Oreal. I think they were trying to get away with both. Okay. Because um, if you ever squirt into your eyes, like we all tried to do. <laughs> God. We're like, ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I loved playing with my light brights. Oh, light brights are fun. That was a good time. Uh, no decision could be made without playing rock, paper, scissors, or bubble gum. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Everyone either had Lisa Frank school supplies or like a professional team or athletes on their school supplies. Lisa Frank. Yeah. All the way. Mm-hmm. Speaking. That baby leopard was riding a <laughs> unicorn into space. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. Slap bracelets were the coolest. Remember when they became dangerous? Yeah. Because like the metal, right? The metal It was metal. Out. Yeah. It was a, well, you know what it was? It was a, um, um it was tape. It yeah, was measuring like a, tape. It was a retractable mm-hmm. measuring tape, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was a, a teacher came up with it. She was like, oh, oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Then she people were taking anything. the sleeves off and like shanking each other with them. Yeah, that or they would just come out and then like really injure a child. Yeah. <laughs> they also smelled horrible if you left them on for too long. Yeah. It was pretty gross. Yeah, whatever they were wrapped around with. You would just sweat because they just gave you no room <laughs> to breathe. It's terrible. They're not great. <laughs> oh, I do remember that being a thing too because doctors were like, don't put them on your wrist, just like with a watch or something because mm-hmm. that's where um, your skin breathes there, like heat mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, because you're not even supposed to put a sweatband uh, oh, really? around your wrist. I didn't know that. It should go up further. That's why you see like um, athletes wear it around like the their upper. I never made that connection. Uh, like that's really interesting. Because mm-hmm. you that's where you like sweat huh. and so you could end up overheating if you have it over that part. Well, they're pretty hot. I'll tell you that because they, when you slap them, they go tight, man. They don't yeah. <laughs> smell. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pokemon cards, Beanie Babies, and Pogs were solid investments for our future. Oh, T.Y. Beanie Babies come mm-hmm. back in this story. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. Because he's a 90s kid. Get that Princess Diana bear. You're going to make <laughs> oh, a fortune. Man. I know. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of futures, the only way to know how your life would turn out was by playing MASH. Oh, yeah, MASH. Mm-hmm. I feel like Violet should learn how to play that. Oh, yeah, she'd be obsessed with it. Yeah, you should tell her. Okay. That'd be a cute moment. <laughs> Corey and Topanga from Boy Meets World were, all, like, will always be my favorite couple. Yeah, they're good. Playing Oregon Trail in computer class or after school was the best. I never played that, which is weird because I would love that probably. Yeah. You can play it now. It's like history. There's dysentery. It's all of its nuts. probably an app on your phone. I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> we all wish that one day we would be lucky enough to get slimed. Hell yeah. Like Alanis. Yeah. <laughs> she was on. You can't do that know, on television. I know. Uh, speaking of Nickelodeon, they really did have amazing cartoons and shows at this time. Some of the best cartoons. So the, um, I went like uh, early 90s. Sure. This half. So you had Rugrats, Doug. Ah, Real Monsters. So good. Ren and Stimpy. 
So weird. I know. So and weird. My the, mom wouldn't let me watch it. Well, my brother could, but I wasn't Also, to. the guy that made it, John Grigpalusi, was uh, like a terrible pedophile that kept a 13-year-old oh. in his home. We'll cover that case because I don't feel like people know about it. And it is insane. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. It's nuts. I can never watch that again now. I can't either. Because <laughs> oh, he did some weird stuff on that. Yeah. He's a weirdo. Oh, God. Okay. No wonder my mom was so concerned. She was Diane like, knew. Isn't. Diane was like, I know that's a brain of somebody yeah. who's unstable. <laughs> Ooh, uh, Beetlejuice uh, was also a cartoon on there. Oh, right. I yeah, loved animated I like Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tons more. Um, and then on other stations, too, these were like my favorite from the other channels. Okay. There was Tiny Toon Adventures. So, uh, every day after school. Every day. Do you remember the movie? No. The Tiny Toon movie? No. But um, I, I definitely watched it after school every day. That and, and Animaniacs. Yeah. And they did like a, so the movie was a, um, it was like a summer vacation movie. Oh, wait. I do remember yeah, this. Okay. Like, <laughs> and they're all sitting in the room. They're like, we're waiting for the clock to strike three. <laughs> Because that is when we'll be free. Something like that. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was so fun. Uh, Bobby's World was my other favorite. Oh, I love that one. I know. <laughs> we, we learned now that he was going through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, the animated series, was so dark, but so good. So dark. That's a, that's one, like, I could sit down and watch it now. Really? Like, it's like a real show. I've never watched mm-hmm. it. It's really good. Hmm. Uh, X-Men, Animaniacs, Beavis and Butthead. Uh, which really wasn't for kids, but we watched it. We anyway. sure did. And gargoyles. That's our parents were like, it's a cartoon. It's fine. Yeah. And they didn't like, check it's in. It's on MTV, which yeah. is for like teens, no, like older teens. There was no adult swim really at the time. They didn't realize that like some cartoons are for grownups. Yeah. <laughs> so my brother was obsessed with Beavis and Butthead. And um, shout out Adam. <laughs> hey there, bro. Uh, he also got himself a hamster and he named, I think he, I don't, maybe he had to at one point, so he had a Beavis and Butthead, and maybe only one survived. Oh, no. But um, he no longer wanted it, so I think it was Beavis or Butthead. Oh, I forget which Beavis. one. But my mom made me change the name when he gave me the hamster. Mm. He was like, you can have this. I was like, yes. I was so excited. And I got, like, a fun little system for it. So it had, like, this whole, like, jungle Aww. gym. And I called it Roly Poly because I had to change Way its cuter. name. Way cuter. And then my cat killed it. Oh. He, like, drained its blood. This is why for dead. See, this is why my kids can't have small animals. Yeah. Because I have three cats and they they eat animals outside all the time. They would yeah. eat that hamster. Yeah. Violet asked me for a chinchilla yesterday. I was like, Do you want to look at a dead chinchilla? Mm-hmm. Because that's what would happen in our house. Well, so Roly Poly, once uh once butthead <laughs> figured its way R. out R. of the butthead. cage. It was just like chewing at the top. Oh no. And my cat Gilligan would just stare at it and wait. He just waited. Oh, no. And then he gave it to me as a present. Oh, no. He thought you were anemic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so those were the cartoons. There was, like, Gargoyles, The Tick, Spider-Man, and so many more. Yeah, it's a good time for cartoons. Nickelodeon yeah. is, is experiencing a pretty good renaissance when it comes to cartoons, I will yeah, say. Yeah, they're doing a good They job have good now. stuff now, mm-hmm. so. You they have kids. Back. Well, because it's like us. Watch it. It's yeah. like us now yeah. creating the shows. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Well, we're doing great because their cartoons are good. <laughs> we're so good at it. I know. I watch so many <laughs> cartoons, so I can tell you if you need recommendations. Anyway, uh, I didn't mention before the specific date, but Joel uh, Michael was born on March 13th, 1988, in case okay. anybody wanted to send him a birthday card. Don't, because he's terrible. So, Joel Michael was born. It's 1988. Later in life, maybe Lisa Frank will make an appearance or yeah. something. <laughs> but Lisa, Lisa Guy always do- doted on her little boy. He had everything he could ever want. 
but Joel Michael was always a little strange. He never seemed to fit in with the rest of the family, who loved to laugh, and he didn't really have a sense of humor. So nothing, none of it landed on him. They'd be like mm. telling jokes and having funny conversations. He'd just be like silent, walk away. And the Guy family enjoyed being outside and spending time together. But Joel Michael preferred to be in his room alone. Doing what? Uh, I don't know. Mm. Counting his beanie babies, I think. And this was like even when he was like little? Yeah. He was always kind of like a weird loner. And it like just progressed more as he got older. Um, and he may have been weird, but he was also an exceptional student. In high school, he went to an accelerated boarding school called the Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts. A creative name. Hmm. Come on, people. We can do better than that. <laughs> While there, he forged a close friendship. And as far as I can tell, just one friendship. He had no other friends. With his roommate, a boy named Michael McCracken. Michael called Joel Michael socially awkward and said that as he got older, he became more reclusive, withdrawing more and more. Um, and there would weeks would go by where he would barely see him. The boys graduated in 2006, and Joel went on first to a semester, or Joel Michael, I'm sorry, to a semester at George Washington University before transferring to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, where he was said to be studying to become a plastic surgeon. Okay. Joel had an apartment in Baton Rouge where the rent was always paid on time. He paid his bills, which included internet, cell phone, electric. He fed himself, paid tuition, bought books. And all of this might seem like I'm just listing normal, uninteresting things about him, but there is one little twist. Joel Michael never worked a single day in his life. Oh. During the 10 years he spent as a student, and there's no word on how much of an education he actually accrued, I believe it was a little bit of graduate school and that's all, okay. his parents completely supported him. Lisa actually didn't need to work. Joel's salary was plenty to support them. But she did so simply to pay Joel Michael's bills. Mm. Her paychecks basically went directly to him. Okay. So she worked for his living. Man, it's so, it's, it's tough, the stress parents feel to like have to support their children like that. Like to have to support. They had three others who were fine though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but did they support them through their school? Probably. I mean, probably not 10 awkward years where they're not actually getting no, an education. No, but they probably Maybe, did, yeah. and they were just, like, used to it. They're like, well, this is just what we do. They also which, had another another family because they're mm -hmm. half-sisters, so yeah. they had another set of parents supporting them too. So I don't really know. I didn't dig into the girls too much. They kind of deserve their privacy, yeah. but yeah. Meanwhile, I do talk to about his sisters next. Jill Michael's sisters all had jobs. Okay. And had them for a long time. Like, they started working early. Mm -hmm. They had spouses and children. They went on to consider, to what most people would consider a quote-unquote normal life. The girls and their dad and Lisa had, like, group text messages and group emails. And they called and texted all the time. And they had little jokes and fun. But Joel Michael was never involved. And by his own admission, he okay. didn't want to be. He preferred to stay silent and uncommunicative. The girls claim to, not claim, they said they looked up to Lisa as both a woman and a mother as they grew, and they would, like, come to her for parenting advice, and when they were having babies, they would talk to her about that. Like, it's just a really healthy stepmother relationship. Yeah. But Joel Michael saw her as a glorified cash register. His high school roommate recalls the fact that in the 10 years he knew Joel Michael, he had never met his family once, with the exception of his mother, and that only happened on one occasion and very briefly. And this is his roommate, someone he knew for a really long time. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Joel really only talked about his parents in terms of them paying for things, which is how he still talks about them to this day. And this strikes me as so bizarre because he was Lisa's one and only biological child. Joel chose to be icy with his mother, even though he could have had all the attention in the world. Mm. Not only that, but Joel Michael was the only son, a position that under a lot of circumstances seems to foster an extremely close relationship between that child and their parents, especially their mother. But not Joel Michael. The offer was there. He just never accepted it. Mm. And that brings us right up about to 2016. Now, in 2016, Lisa and Joel Sr. made a decision. They would both retire sell their family home in Knoxville, and move to Lisa's um, family home in Sergoinsville, Tennessee. So I think this is a house she inherited at some point. Like, her parents aren't living there. It just was in her family. Joel and Lisa worked on their new finances that came with lower income and different bills and, I don't know, possibly payment for this house. It's really unclear, like, what the deal is with how they got this home. But And they concluded that it was no longer reasonable to completely support Joel Michael financially. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong. It isn't he would have to get a job and support himself. Now, they told the girls this, and they said that they planned to tell him about it during the family's Christmas celebration in Sergoinsville, which is like Christmas. All <laughs> Not right, a good guys. time to do that. No, but, uh, but what they I, don't see him. I think that's it. That they, yeah. They're like, this is the only time we're going to see him because he told them he wasn't coming to Thanksgiving that year. They're like, all right, well, he's not coming to Thanksgiving. He doesn't call us. We don't really see him. We'd like to have this conversation face-to-face. This is when we're going to have to have it. Mm-hmm. So imagine their surprise when Joel showed up anyway on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. acting weirder than ever. Mm-hmm. He said he was there for Thanksgiving and would be spending the whole weekend in the house. Okay. Surprise! Lisa was blindsided and not wanting to keep this information from him any longer. She didn't really want to lie to him. Right. She broke the news to Joel that he would have to start funding his own life. And he seemed to take it kind of in stride. He didn't love it, obviously, but he also didn't go, like, berserker and start swinging or anything. Okay. And also, it should be mentioned that he, the, his bedroom in her, his parents' house was kept like a shrine to his youth. It was full of, like, it was decorated like it was when he was a child. It, like, never evolved. They just mm. left it there with, like, pictures and toys and his bedspread from when he was a kid. Right. So that's the room he was staying in. Okay. Now, if you were to tell me I'd be covering a case where two people were brutally murdered around Christmas, I might not be super surprised. Christmas can be incredibly stressful. There are many expectations, lots of forced family time, not to mention the added financial burden. If you were to tell me I would be covering a case where two people were brutally murdered near Halloween, I wouldn't be surprised either. Halloween is kind of a ghoulish time. Stuff is scary. It could trip a loose wire in somebody's head just enough to do something crazy. But Thanksgiving... What normally happens on Thanksgiving? It's such a placid holiday. We're all so full and clouded over with tryptophan that it's a miracle anyone even leaves their home that Monday. Even though I actually love Thanksgiving, I generally think of it as a holiday people kind of Christmas over and forget about. Except for the fine folks who make Bob's Burgers, they are doing God's work. (laughs) (laughs) In general, Thanksgiving feels pretty tame as holidays go. But Leslie, why don't you... Get us a little bit into the Thanksgiving frame of mind. Tell us about Thanksgiving a little bit. Sure. Well, so just so you know, um, Thanksgiving is actually the second most popular holiday in America. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Good for Thanksgiving. Yeah. People love it. I like like it. If you talk to most people, they'll probably say Thanksgiving is their favorite of the holidays. And um, and families start to feel a lot of stress during Thanksgiving. Um, So it's usually right after— Right after Halloween is yeah. when the holiday stress 
comes about. Well, now it's Christmas, the day after Halloween for a lot of people. I can't be doing that, but it right. is. Well, but it's not so much. It's like the excitement of uh, the decorations. Yeah. So if you, this is what I was thinking about. The holidays are stressful because I think of finances. Yeah. So this almost plays into the story pretty well. It's just the idea of like how many presents we have to buy and how we yep. have to keep up you know, what then what our neighbors are doing or what other people are doing. Uh-huh. Where if it was just celebrating and being with your family and just spending time and, you know, decorating, you know, you have the happy colors and you mm-hmm. have snow and yeah. Santa. Like if it's just something like really sweet and just family yeah. oriented, I think it would be a lot less stressful. But I think it's a lot of times you have um the financial burden that gets put on people. And so for Thanksgiving it can be stressful because, like, right away you have Black Friday and that's when yeah. the sales start. And there's and so that ramped like, up social media need to keep up with the constant experiences people are that, having. Yeah. And you feel like you have to do mm-hmm. that with your family too. So And meeting up with your family. So Thanksgiving, again, like, you don't really do this for Halloween. You might have, like, friend parties and yeah. things like that. But Thanksgiving is, even though it's supposed to be a community event, is, mm-hmm. like, really what it was intended to be. Yeah. We've now made it a lot more like we spend time with just our family and some people open their doors but that can be really stressful for some people who don't get along with their family yeah yeah definitely um and so just the idea you know and a lot of people are like oh I'm gonna see my family this is gonna be the year they're they're gonna accept me we're gonna try not to talk about politics or the being unvaccinated or lord um or just even the vaccine in general um and then just other things religion whatever yeah or I'm like you know they're they're gonna accept me for me and you go there and you have all these high hopes and then they're just dashed. And that's what a lot of people do. So wow. I was reading a lot about like the psychology of Thanksgiving and just the holidays in general. Interesting. And that's what they were talking about. Um, just like a lot of people like ramp themselves. Not a lot of people, but if you're one of these people, you know, and you have stress with your family already, yeah. you ramp yourself up for all of that just to kind of be dashed. And and they have a lot. I mean, you can go online and there's so many, a lot of psychologists give you tips on how to handle your family for these holiday Mm, events. Let's let's share one of those. Um, Okay, so for... um, Or I mean, I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll share. Yeah, I'll definitely share one of those. But one of them I thought was interesting where it was like a a tip if your family, you know, kind of puts on a show uh, in front of guests. Yeah. Then make sure you bring a friend along with you for Thanksgiving or something. So you have a buffer. You have somebody that they're not going to act out of the round. Um, If alcohol obviously may bring out some things, just try not to drink so you can like keep your head on and keep keep straight. So it was like different things like that. But I thought the like bring a friend with you. That's really, that's good (laughs) advice. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And well, if you can find one of those articles, if it's like a list, we'll put it in the photo suite. And if Mm -hmm. not, we'll share the full article. I think it was in the show notes. The one I read was actually a New York Times article that they they had open for people. Perfect. I don't have any. So we'll, we'll, um. We'll share that with you guys just in case yeah. Christmas is, like, stressing you out. And mm-hmm. if it is, like, you're not alone. Lots of us are stressed out about yep. that stuff. Because Okay, so this is 2016, yes. too, right? So mm-hmm. this was – actually, this article was written around uh, – well, it was now, but it was starting from 2016 because of all the political issues. Yep. So it'll actually be really relevant because it talks about how the politics were um, a hard thing to come to the dinner mm-hmm. table with. And, um, and actually, I think I wrote one down because I thought this was interesting. Okay. So they pulled a quote from a book. Um, In her book, I Love You But I Hate Your Politics, Dr. (sighs) Safer 
writes that children fight with parents about politics because they want to be seen, heard, and appreciated for who they are. Parents fight because they feel betrayed by differences and interrupt them as reputations. Because political values are increasingly a central part of people's sense of identity, rejected, rejecting a loved one's politics has become a personal slate. It means rejecting them. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting how it was like the yeah, parents no, and kids that's very interesting. and how like – and you could use that for anything, whether it's religion or, um, you know, how you identify. Yeah, the dynamic is just anything. very different. Yeah. It's just like a, a horrible cycle that we keep putting ourselves yeah, through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so maybe just even knowing what that cycle is can help break the cycle. Yeah. But on some positive notes, I got some fun Thanksgiving facts. Give us a few fun facts. Okay. So Minnesota raises the most turkeys in the U.S. Mm. The Butterball Hotline answers 100,000 turkey-related questions every year. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about my turkey. Yeah. <laughs> I hope some of them at least are like, what was his name? Where yeah. did he live? <laughs> and they call it the turkey hotline. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the day after Thanksgiving is the busiest day of the year for plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> don't be pouring oil down your sinks, yeah, people. Do you got to stop that. <laughs> I know. Knock it off. It, can't, it doesn't work. Calvin Coolidge was given a live raccoon one Thanksgiving, the president. What a gift! Mm-hmm. So in 1926, <laughs> President Calvin Coolidge was gifted a live raccoon who was intended to be on the table instead of a turkey for the first family's Thanksgiving like meal. Like they were going to cook it? Yeah. You don't cook the raccoon? That's terrible. I know. Well, they were going to eat it. That was their thing. Oh, this I was 1926. It. Still hate it. He and First Lady Grace Coolidge weren't inclined to eat the masked creature. They no. did not want to eat it. Good. It's fine. Kilo trash panda. Um, instead, they adopted the raccoon, gave her the name Rebecca, and kept her as a White House pet. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I love pet raccoons. I, I will watch TikToks of them for hours. They're amazing. They're so clean. <laughs> they are. They're so cute. I know. They make that little chattery sound. I know. I love them. Only male turkeys gobble. Oh, I knew that. It was yep. on a snap mm-hmm. camp. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Females cackle, purr, and yelp. Yeah, you know, that's how we gobble. do. Jingle Bells, written by James Lord Pierpont in 1857, Ew. was originally written as a Thanksgiving song. The title was originally One Horse Open Sleigh, which well, I didn't sense. You're really just slaying around. It's yeah. Not like no, it's just like a winter song. Christmas, Christmas. Until 1859, which was only two years after it had been written. They renamed the Jingle Bells. Uh, they renamed the song to Jingle Bells and made it a Christmas song. Oh, yep. interesting. So in 1705, the town of Colchester, Connecticut, what up, CT? Oh, there it is. <laughs> postponed Thanksgiving because their molasses shipment was affected by foul weather. Oh, no. I thought and, you were going to say foul play. Anyway, continue. I know. <laughs> I, it took all of me not to write that. Um, so no molasses meant no pumpkin pie. Oh, no. So the whole town agreed to wait another week. This reminded me of like an episode of Gilmore Girls for, for Jill out there. She'll be like, yeah. She gets it. <laughs> they all had a town meeting and they were like, no molasses. No pie. Well, then no Thanksgiving. Yes. They'll be like, agreed, agreed. <laughs> all right, then. Um, 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 um. <laughs> Holiday weight gain accounts for most of the thickening associated with aging. The thickening. The thickening. Sounds like a terrible movie. Right? So according to a 2000 study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the average person gained one pound between the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, coupled with the fact that most individuals tend to gain one pound a year without uh, throughout adulthood. The seasonal thickening may, be, may play a large part 
and the general weight gain that accompanies age. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the Macy's Day Parade started in 1925. In 1927, the first floats with large balloons appeared, and the first balloon was Felix the Cat. Uh-huh. And did you know, like, they they didn't, like, take the air out of the balloons. They just let them float away originally. No. Yeah. And then they were like, this is a problem because these ginormous balloons, they also didn't have, like, size restrictions. So... There was, I forget what year it was, but there's, like, that's a whole thing of, like, a terrible year where, like, they were, like, <laughs> causing so much destruction. Of course. That's, like, a 90-foot yeah. balloon. That's a ton of, like, yeah. <laughs> plastic or whatever, canvas, mm-hmm. whatever it is, just, like, laying in a field or in an ocean somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, because I think they just thought they'd float away and Into be what, fine. space? Yeah. Okay. And then they were like, oh, that's just, like— <laughs> breaking apart yeah it's so bad oh no but yeah th- then there was a whole year of like the parades where they had to create restrictions on the sizes because they were just like terrorizing the Take town the air out of those things <laughs> and fold them up when you're done know, stop it but yeah so those are fun facts <laughs> just like sonic the hedgehog descending <laughs> on your neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was scary <laughs> <laughs> you imagine waking up in the morning and outside your window you're like no yeah. okay I'll post the story and Please if nobody do. knows it because it was that it. sounds fun. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Boy, Thanksgiving's venturesome. It is. See, there's a lot going on with Thanksgiving. More, more than I gave it credit for. A lot for. of stress, Holly. There's a lot of stress. Well, you know what? You're totally right. There is. And so this is a stressful family gathering for the guy family to go back in. Oh, were you finished with Thanksgiving? I am. Excellent. So this is stressful for them for a lot of reasons. First of all, Joel Michael had never really been much for family gatherings or holidays. He didn't seem much for anything, if you ask me. Really? That's surprising. Uh, Right? (laughs) So it was pretty out of character for him to just show up to spend time with his family. So his sisters were immediately kind of on alert. One sister mentioned that Joel Michael was nice that weekend and pleasant even. Hmm. He had been making an effort to talk to everyone and to spend time with his nieces and nephews. But another sister is quick to jump in and point out that this is exactly what was suspicious about his behavior. She doubted he even knew her kids' names, and yet there he was, taking them upstairs to his room to play, which, let's be real, is also highly suspicious behavior for a grown adult man. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't either. He was taking the kids up to his, like, childhood bedroom full of toys um, and showing them things, and he was making a point to give them all some of his collectible T.Y. Beanie Babies. Yes. There they are. (laughs) Best uncle ever. There you go. (laughs) Yet again, this is super weird to his sisters because Mm -hmm. he never cared about their kids a day in his life. And here he is like giving them things. I like the the dynamic though with the sisters because it's like you have the one that's probably a little naive. Mm-hmm. She was just like it was just it was really nice. He I'm was very being confused. nice. Yeah. The other sisters just like um no, this is clearly gonna be bad. <laughs> like you don't just do this for no reason. So the sisters were thrown really off kilter by all of this, and they found themselves subconsciously keeping track of his whereabouts throughout the house. Okay. They talk about like they were like we were kind of like aware what he was doing yeah. and where he was going because we didn't know what was going on. But subconsciously, they all kind of came to the conclusion that they needed to keep an eye on him. But also because he's moving around and yeah. he's normally just in his room or not that, there. Yeah. They're probably just, it's like having a pet. You're just like. And they said he was kind of like just haunting everything. Like they'd go upstairs to put something in the laundry or whatever and he'd just be like there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> in retrospect, they see now that Joel knew full well what he was about to do. Ugh. And he was already overcompensating for it. Okay. So. There are other strange things about Joel Michael's behavior that weekend, like the trunk full of large blue plastic tubs he brought with him. 
His sister had seen them and wondered what he was up to, but shrugged it off because he was weird. So maybe mm-hmm. he has totes in his trunk. Maybe he was taking home his stuff from his childhood bedroom. Who knows? So Thanksgiving came and went. There was turkey. There was family. There was weird Uncle Joel Michael. And a pretty, this is pretty average for most families. A weird uncle is nothing to write home about. At the end of the night, I mean, like a lot of people have one. We all have a weird uncle. Exactly. At the end of the night, everyone else went home, leaving Joel Michael alone with his parents and a terrifying plan. A terrifying plan that had been mapped out in painstaking detail down to every last little thing. How do we know he had a plan? Well, in the words of one of my favorite comics, and I'm paraphrasing here, the weirdest thing about serial killers is the journaling. Mm. The comic is Pete Holmes, if you're wondering, and Joel Michael Guy isn't a serial killer, but you get the picture. You see, in addition to the blood and fingerprints and weapons the police had found, they also found a backpack in the guy's home in Knoxville, a backpack that had clearly belonged to Joel Michael. I imagine it had his name written in Sharpie on it like a third grader, but that's just my brain. And in this backpack, there was a notebook titled The Book of Premeditation. Well, there it is. Premeditation. You know, the one thing a murder, like a murderer never, never, never wants to confess to. You never want to say the crime was premeditated because then you get a murder one charge. That's the thing that bumps you up that totem pole to death penalty territory. And he was in the South, so you know it was there. And here is his to-do list slash a stream of consciousness planning for the days leading up to that event. Asterisk, get carving knives, bullet point. Get killing knives, quiet, multiple, to make small pieces. Bullet point, get sledgehammer, crush bones. Bullet point, bring blender and food grinder, hyphen, grind meat. Bullet point, get bleach, slash denature proteins, bullet point. Get plastic bin for denaturization, denaturation process. Bullet point, does not matter where they're killed, just get rid of bloody spots to prevent evidence of underlined time of death, parentheses, not the mattress or couches. Bullet point, get rid of bodies inside the house, um, dash there and my DNA is already there. Bullet point, open up doggy door to provide entryway, then this is crossed out. He needs to be blamed, not intruder. No explanation for that. Bullet point, flush chunks down toilet, underlined, not garbage disposal, in parentheses. Bullet point, get plastic sheeting for disposal process. Bullet point, get hollow point point bullets just in case. That's crossed out. Will be seen buying bullets. Just use computer room gun, arrow. Check to make sure there are bullets, parentheses, last resort. Bullet point, he's not alive to claim her half of the insurance money, arrow, all mine, parentheses, $500,000. Bullet point, flood the house, covers up forensic evidence. Bullet point, turn heater up as high as it goes, arrow speeds, decomposition. Bullet point, bleach reacts with luminol just like blood. Arrow, douse area with bleach. Bullet point, big sprayer, bullet point, lie. Bullet point, trash compactor? Body gives time of death, arrow, alibi. Bullet point, don't have to get rid of body if there is no forensic evidence on the body. Bullet point, all caps, his fingerprints and DNA. I'm going to get more of this journal later, but that's just a starter. That's just his pre-crime list. He's very organized. Yep. The police took one look look at this journal of completion or whatever he called it. Oh, yes. The book of premeditation, which is worse, Mm -hmm. and said, well, clearly you've done a murder. (laughs) And for the oldest reason in the book, to collect their life insurance money. Because as it turned out, Joel Sr. and Lisa had a policy that stated that if they both went missing or died suddenly, Joel Michael would receive the full $500,000 payout. Mm-hmm. The thing he didn't take into account, though, was that this was totally null and void if he happened to also be the reason they both turned up missing or dead. Right. And he made the grave mistake of leaving his backpack and his book of premeditation behind at the crime scene. 
So essentially, he left the police an intact crime scene with all of the evidence and a detailed written confession. Brilliant. So good at it. Yeah. And so the police set out to find Joel and place him under arrest, obviously. Now let's hop forward into the future a couple days for a minute. I mentioned earlier that when the crime scene was discovered at the guy house, there was an absolute fuck ton of evidence for the police to sort through. And it all pointed back to Joel Michael. And we're talking more than just all the body parts and the full confession. Mm -hmm. Like what, you ask? Well, like receipts for cleaning products, a letter to a plumber in Louisiana about cleaning out the sewer pipes. Oh, and the murder weapon sitting in the bathroom sink. But in case crime scene evidence seems too circumstantial for the courts, there were other things to fall back on. Joel Michael was also caught on several surveillance cameras buying the supplies he would later use to murder and attempt to dissolve his parents. He used cash for all of these transactions and self-checkout most of the time because in his brain then he wouldn't have to interact with anyone and no one would see him. But I think he failed to realize that it was 2016 and there are still cameras everywhere, which is weird at a Walmart where they are right in your face. If you're at a self-checkout at Walmart, you can see your own face on right. camera. I hate that. I know, I do too. I'm always, I always like, I look terrible. No, I'm like, I look suspicious. No, no. <laughs> so the cops tracked Joel buying supplies for the murders as far back as November 7th when he purchased several items at an Ace Hardware, Ace Hardware in Napoleonville. And the products he bought there included muriatic acid and food-grade hydrogen peroxide. Now, a side note on muriatic acid. This is something that is almost always on the murderer's buffet of body disposal options. But it occurred to me that I never really explored what it was and why it's so stupid easy to buy. We can't buy most super strong acids at our local Ace Hardware. So what is this one and why is it different? Well, to start, it is simply a lower concentration of hydrochloric acid. So basically it's bleach's angry cousin. Mm -hmm. Hydrochloric acid is very good at cleaning grout and stubbornly stained toilet bowls and tubs. It will etch concrete for resurfacing and balance the pH in a swimming pool, so you can usually find it in pool stores. Mm -hmm. It is approximately the same pH as stomach acid, if you're looking for a comparison, which will eat through a battery, in case you need a reference, but does not break down rubber. So you can save your hands from becoming a melted battery with the simple use of rubber gloves, hence why it's not going to melt those plastic tubs. Okay. It's also not the most effective method of body disposal. While muriatic acid is very dangerous to work with and it will burn the shit out of you, it will not completely dissolve a human body. And in fact, seems to do a better job on bone than it does on fatty soft tissue. And most scientists agree that if you're looking to dissolve a body, you should go with nitric or nitric acid, sulfuric acid, or the Walter White special hydrofluoric acid. Can you go back one? Sure. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> So it's fun to talk about, but the, the hydrofluoric acid, which is what you would have seen on Breaking Bad that dissolves a bathtub and the body comes crashing down and that's mm -hmm. um, a different compound. Um, but it's really almost the same when it comes to body dissolving as muriatic acid. Not the best for the body, bad news for your bathtub. <laughs> what it is very good at doing, however, is a real number on your lungs. Muriatic acid releases extremely harmful gases, which is why after the police had discovered the bodies that hazmat crews, as I mentioned earlier, were brought in to do all the evidence collection with full-on suits and respirators. The house had become pretty toxic, and I really wonder how Joel Michael was in there as long as he was, breathing in that shit without a respirator. Maybe that's why he's stuck with permanent crazy eyes. Ooh. Look it up. <gasps> I'm not lying. Or just look at the photo suite. I did all the work for you. But Leslie's going to do it while I'm talking so you can hear her reaction to his face. What's his last his, name again? His name is Joel Michael Guy Jr. 
So now that we're all caught up on household acids, let's get back to Joel Michael. See his handsome face? Ooh. Yep. Look at those eyes. Oh. Ooh. Yep. Oh, his hair. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there. He looks like a cartoon. Yeah, he's terrifying. So he was caught on camera once again on November 18th at Home Depot. Cameras record him buying the, ble- the bleach sprayer, extension cords, and a timer. And then again at Academy Sports on November 19th, where he is seen picking up a Marine-style Ka Bar knife. Big old badass-looking knife. On November 21st, cameras capture Joel Michael once more at a Knoxville Walmart buying a plastic blue tote large enough for the dismembered bodies to dissolve in. And I wish I could say this was the end of his adventures in security cameras, but it's not. He was also caught on camera at the Knoxville Walmart the day of the murders buying Neosporin and Band-Aids for his post-murder ouchy hands. This all seems insane for a person who committed a serious crime. There's no way people weren't going to connect the dots here. But Joel Michael didn't really get that because for a bright kid, he sure was dumb when it came to real-world thinking. Mm. You see, Joel Michael just really, 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 really didn't think he was going to get caught. Now, whether this was because he thought so much of himself or not nearly enough of anyone else is up for debate. I think it's a little of both. But needless to say, the police had enough to find Joel Michael and bring him in. So they're like, we have a case against this guy. We can go hunt him down. They tracked him back to his apartment in Baton Rouge. Police briefly observed him at his his apartment before arresting him and searching the premises and his car, an act which they did not have a warrant for. Get it together, cops. I gave you so much credit for the gloves, and then you went and betrayed me like this. Oh, man. It didn't matter. The the, The guy's house was so full of evidence that even the stuff they found They didn't even need it. But still, then they took Joel Michael off to jail, which brings us to the point where I tell you exactly what happened in that house. Because the police, detectives, crime scene investigators, and medical examiners are a billion times better at the forensics of it all than one idiot who wanted to claim his parents' life insurance money. And as it turns out, real-life murder is exponentially more difficult than the kind you see in the movies. We talked about this a million times before. Though no one really takes that into account. Joel Michael certainly didn't because despite his best laid plans, this whole process took days more time and effort than he thought it would. So first, before I give you the actual events, here is Joel Michael's plan exactly as it is written in his journal. These are bullet points again, so please forgive the weird speech pattern. Bullet point. Minimize things I touch throughout visit. Bullet point. Wear gloves and socks to prevent fingerprints and footprints. Bullet point. Drop something down the garbage disposal to break it. Arrow. Get him on the ground fixing it. Arrow. Kill him with the knife. Now that him would be his dad. Bullet point. Clean up mess from him before she gets home. He thinks this is going to be real quick. Bullet point. Kill her with knife. Kill dog. Crossed out. Take dog with you. And then there's some gibberish that kind of looks like the phrase bathe it, which, okay. Because we all have limits, you guys. You know, the worst possible thing a person can do is kill the dog, and he doesn't want to be a bad guy or anything. Mm. As I mentioned before, the dog does live. In Lisa's obituary, it is stated that she was an animal lover and that both she and Joel loved their dog, Jake, like a child. After the police rescued him, Jake was taken to the young Williams animal shelter where he was doted on and cared for until a family member was able to pick him up and take him in. It was requested at the funeral that mourners... Um, for Joel and Lisa, consider making a donation to the Young Williams Animal Shelter in lieu of flowers. Mm. Yeah. Bullet point. Place her in the shower with dog crossed out. (laughs) First he says, place her in the shower with dog, then with dog is crossed out. 
Turn on hot water and, and point it at her to get rid of forensics. Remove her clothing and take them with me for disposal. Two things to check in with right now. One, the definition of the word forensics as a plural noun is, quote, scientific tests or techniques used in connection with the detection of a crime, end quote. Definitely means evidence, but then goes on to make this same grammatical error several times, and it drives me insane. For a supposed medical student, he sure does write like an idiot. Two, I need you all to take in the fact that his plan was to take his naked mother and her dog and put them in the shower with the water on scalding hot. Both of them dead. That kind of imagery should put anyone off, but he was able to write it down, like write it out, and then just move on. Oh my God. Okay, going forward. Bullet point, place him in a plastic bin and use it to get him into the upstairs bathroom. Like he meant put out his fully grown father and th thinking he would just collapse into a plastic tote like a rag doll and magically not be more than 150 pounds of dead weight. Carrying that up a flight of stairs would have been difficult to say the least. And Joel Michael looks like the kind of guy who needs an inhaler after he walks to the bathroom too fast. Yeah. So he's not carrying his dad in a tote up the stairs. That's imaginary. Mm -hmm. Going forward. Bullet point. Cut off his arm and plant her flesh under his fingernails. Place her hand with his DNA so his DNA is not washed away by shower. It never becomes clear why he does this, as completely disposing of their bodies pretty much kills the chance of framing these as a murder-suicide completely. Right. But fine, whatever, have a backup plan, I guess. It makes no sense, and it never does make sense. Bullet point, use sodium hydroxide, that's lye, to destroy his soft tissue and soften bones for transport. Based once every hour to accelerate. He wrote based, like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, we all love a theme, but that's, that's too far. Mm. Bullet point, flush sodium hydroxide down the toilet. Bullet point. Wash out bin with handheld shower head and then direct handheld into the toilet to flush everything out of the pipes and into the public waterway. <sighs> this is a handheld shower head, not a fire hose. And when pulled to its limits, even with the most intense water pressure imaginable, it's not going to reach the toilet and hose everything down through the drains. This is never going to work. Again, this is idiotic planning. Bullet point, douse killing rooms, parentheses kitchen, question mark, with bleach. Bullet point, place hair curler with flammable paper and flammable containers of gasoline in four locations. His killing room, her killing room, his bathroom, her bathroom. Bullet point, wipe down areas near killing rooms and bathrooms. Bullet point, turn heat up to 90 degrees to melt fingerprints and dry everything. 90 degree heat will not melt the fingerprints off anything. In fact, fingerprints don't melt at all. They can evaporate a little bit, but that's different. Yes, surface temperature does affect the clarity of a fingerprint when you're trying to retrieve it because heat will evaporate the water and oils, which is what a fingerprint is made of. But even at a surface temperature of 122 degrees Fahrenheit, fingerprints are still usable. 90 is child's play. 90 degrees is what it's like in the month of June in New Jersey. And I promise you that you can still collect fingerprints outside in June in New Jersey. <laughs> so there's plenty of crimes in the summer here. Moving on. <laughs> Bullet points. Set her phone to send me a text message late Sunday to prove that I was in BR. That's Baton Rouge, not bathroom and she was alive. I didn't know this was an option. You can schedule a text message? Yes. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Amazing. All right then. Bullet point, leave through front, front door and wipe down doorknobs. Bullet point, time for flammables set for Friday at 10 a.m. Arrow, sunlight masks fire but not smoke. No, it doesn't. Sunlight's not gonna hide things that are on fire. It's just daytime. That's weird. Continuing on, he says, everyone at work, so they can't report it, which I think he means the neighbors. He yeah. assumes that 
the Friday after Thanksgiving, every single one of his neighbors is going to be out of their house in the morning. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, it's not true at all, especially considering children are off school. Mm-hmm. Oh, the God. Parents might be away, but children are home. Oh, worse. <laughs> I think it's a pretty safe assumption, though, that at least one or two of his adult neighbors would be home from work. Yeah, absolutely. So what we have here is maybe not the worst family annihilation plan I've ever seen, but it's not the best. It's full of holes and weirdly confident misinformation, but it's otherwise thorough, I guess, until the end, where it all kind of peters out. The only problem was that it didn't really go as planned, and Joel Michael did not account for time at all. He thought he could do all of that in a few hours, which is nuts. So here's how it actually went down. The garbage disposal thing didn't work at all. So Joel Michael ambushed his father in the upstairs home gym. Now, Joel Michael also wildly overestimated his own strength and underestimated his father's. Joel Michael was a sitting-down kind of guy, and his father, an active, avid outdoorsman, Mm -hmm. who even in his early 60s put up a considerable fight. Joel Michael ended up stabbing his father 42 times, and those are just the sharp force injuries that medical examiners found could have been more before he died. Joel Sr.'s hands were covered in defensive wounds, and there was every indication that he fought like hell, grappling in a fight that lasted for a while. Joel Michael was also injured in this fight, which posed another problem. Once his father was finally dead, Joel Michael was kind of exhausted, so he cut off his father's clothes and left the body in the weight room as his mother would be home at any moment, and he needed to save his strength for her. Sure enough, Lisa returned home from Walmart in the early afternoon on Friday. Because we know this because Lisa was seen on security cameras at Walmart at 12.15 that day alive. So we can only assume that within an hour from that time is when she got home. Mm -hmm. Joel Michael was already off his original timeline as he was like setting fires by then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Lisa entered her home, breezing into the house through the garage. She dropped her purse, wallet, jacket, and keys on the kitchen table, then brought all of her grocery bags in along with two cases of beer she'd purchased and left them in the foyer. Then she went upstairs maybe to find her husband to help her put away the groceries. Maybe she had to let the dog out of the bedroom or something. We don't really know why she went upstairs, but it seemed to be like a habit she had because Joel Michael was waiting at the top of the stairs expecting her. When she reached the top of the stairs, Joel Michael was there lying in wait. He jumped on her from behind and stabbed her in the back um, at least 25 times just in the back because medical examiners found again 25 sharp force injuries in her back. The wounds were six to seven inches deep, which means there was a considerable amount of force behind them, and the knife used was sizable. Her injuries reached several major organs and her spine. Lisa had over 31 stab wounds that they could find in total, and after she was dead, Joel Michael cut off her clothing and began to dismember her. Lisa's head was severed from her body, her arms were disarticulated at the shoulder, and her legs were disarticulated at the knee. Then, um... All of those parts were put in a tub. Jesus. Joel Sr.'s hands were removed in the exercise room where he was killed. But then I think Joel Michael was like, oh, I can't do this all here. It's going to be too much work. And then he, like, dragged him in the other, the, mm-hmm. the master bathroom because at that point you could drag him. Then his, his arms were disarticulated at the shoulders and his legs at the hips. All the limbs and torsos were then put in tubs in the master bathroom and then filled with a caustic soup of dissolving agents. Then he cranked the heat up to max and all the parts had been set to dissolve in chemicals, all of them except Lisa's head. Joel Michael took his mother's freshly severed head, carried it down the stairs, and placed it in a large stockpot 
one they probably had just used to make Thanksgiving dinner. The pot was then filled with water, covered, and set on the stove to boil. And though it was left there boiling for days, it was an electric stove, so we don't have to worry about the gas running out or anything. It could just run forever. When the medical examiners got to the head, they said it had been clear that it was only broken down by heat and not chemicals, and that much of his integrity, like hair and facial features, had remained intact. Lisa's head had suffered something the medical examiner called thermal artifact, which meant that there was heat damage, but all the skin down to the outermost layer was still there, which is so much worse. Because that means when the original police officers opened that boiling pot, I was not just using creative language. The steam cleared and Lisa's boiled head was looking at them. Officers know that Joel Michael carried the head down the stairs independently because he had left a trail of blood drops as he went. There is no explanation as to why he did this. Why dispose of just his mother's head in a different and more sinister manner? Did it not fit in one of the tubs? Was it some kind of poetic justice? Joel Michael refuses to say. Did he shower the bodies or put his father's DNA under his mother's fingernails? It doesn't seem like he did. But both of his parents were dead and the bodies made it into the acid. And as far as his grand plan goes, this is as far as it got. Joel Michael had already taken two days longer than anticipated on simply breaking down the bodies and committing the crime. And by now it was Sunday. The cleaning agents were purchased and ready to go, but Joel Michael was exhausted and his hands were pretty badly injured. He had already gone to Walmart to purchase Neosporin and Band-Aids, like we talked about before, but that wasn't enough. He actually needed medical attention, but he couldn't get, her, get it around there or in, in Knoxville without looking suspicious. So he locked the house and went back to Baton Rouge to seek medical care and some advice on how to clean out sewer pipes. Hmm. I also think that because he went to like the college medical office, it probably was paid for. He probably didn't have any like bills or something. Oh, probably. So first, Joel Michael had to transfer some money. He transferred $1,025 to himself from his father's card, then another $1,589, and then $2,051 from his father's account to Louisiana State University. So all those dollar numbers, he transferred them all directly to Louisiana State University, presumably to pay his bills. Mm -hmm. Then he took another card and paid $3,090 worth of his utility bills on it. Oh, wow. Then Joel Michael drove to Baton Rouge, where he got treatment for his hands at the Louisiana State University Medical Clinic. He thought he could take care of business and then go back to Knoxville to continue on with his plan. But Joel Michael didn't figure that anyone would be looking for his parents. Which, by now it's Monday. Yeah. And mom's not showing up to work. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the daughters haven't heard from her. Nope, no one's heard from them. Now, what gets me the most, though, is making the house a hot box to speed up decomp. How gross can you get? Mm-hmm. It appeared that Joel had murdered his parents for one of the oldest reasons in the book, like we said, life insurance money. And again, he didn't think like, oh, if I leave this crime scene and they find out I did it, I'm not going to get that money. Right. He also left the whole crime scene behind intact with his plans. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't put together in my, I have to repeat this because I can't, what was he thinking? I know, he started off with such a strong plan and then it just all went to And then shit. he just like walked away. So Joel Michael was apprehended on Tuesday, November 29th, that's the day after his parents were discovered, for those of us keeping track, as he was entering his 2006 Hyundai Sonata, which John Mulaney calls a Korean classical music car, and I'll never not think (laughs) of that when I see one. Uh, So they found him in the parking lot of his Baton Rouge apartment complex. So basically they staked him out for like half a day, and then when he was leaving, they just caught him. They found a meat grinder in his trunk, because he was going to grind up the stuff that didn't dissolve. 
That's haunting. And that's the evidence they couldn't use because they didn't have a warrant for it. All the other stuff they could. So they're like, okay, we had a meat grinder we couldn't use. Whatever. Joel Michael pled not guilty. (laughs) And yet filed a motion that he be given the death penalty if if convicted, which always makes you look real innocent. Joel Michael's defense counsel, John Halstead and Jonathan Harwell, presented absolutely no evidence on his behalf. They didn't have anything. They're like, the defense rests. Not guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They wanted us to just kind of like take his word for it. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure they were, I mean, yeah, I know every lawyer wants to win their battle, but I... Also feel like maybe they were like, this is this You is look at that have. case and you're like, we're not going to win. Yeah. There's so no way. We just have not then away, guilty. Then away you look at O.J. Simpson's case and you think, he's not going to win. Yeah. So I suppose it could be done. So this trial took four days, which is not long for a huge murder trial. And Joel Michael was quickly found guilty and sentenced to life in prison because the judge is a rock star in this case. He was like, you don't get to die. You must stay in prison forever. He was also convicted of abuse of a corpse, obviously. Now, there is footage of this creepy motherfucker in court, too. Mm-hmm. That's what should, I was looking at. Oh, yeah. You should know that he watched all the walkthroughs of the crime scene and the presentation of the evidence with wide-eyed wonder, smiling and laughing to himself at times. Ew. Yep. He looks terrifying to begin with, but those big vacant eyes staring down blood-soaked photos of his parents from behind a shiny face shield is an image I don't think I'll ever shake. Because I think the final trial didn't come into play until, like, COVID precautions were taken because he does have that face shield on. He does, yeah. Um, The judge in his sentencing, though, was I think it's just a sentencing hearing that he has the face Mm -hmm. shield on for because he's probably convicted and then the sentencing is later. The judge in his sentencing was amazing saying to him that, quote, you think you're smarter than you really are. And then the judge went on to explain that in reality, the crime was committed in a very unintelligent manner. Mm -hmm. So he was like, you're stupid. According to WVLT-TV, Judge Swords, which is a badass judge name, said that Joel Michael showed no remorse for his actions during the trial and even appeared, quote, proud of his actions. He also said that Joel Michael has, quote, a depraved mind that would not be changed over time and that he wished he could have handed him a harsher sentence. Mm. Joel Michael hasn't done super well in prison either. He got himself in real big trouble recently for threatening to gouge his roommate's eyes out. Or his cellmate. They don't get a room. And he appears to have a large swollen tumor on his jaw. Yeah, I saw that. His face is real distorted right now, and um, there's not a whole lot of word as to what it is, but he doesn't look great. Obviously, the remainder of his family hasn't spoken to him at all. Joel Michael was not even named as one of Joel and Lisa's children in their obituaries. I don't blame them. He did speak to one person, though, after his, after his sentencing, his old roommate, Michael McCracken. Hmm. And the conversation is strange, to say the least. Here's a little snippet. Joel Michael, quote, Consider me dead and move on with your life. I genuinely want you to be happy. Why did I do this? Blah, blah, blah. I just did word vomit at you. Michael McCracken, quote, It hurts my heart. You've been my best friend for my entire adult life, and I don't know if that will ever change because of what you did. I'm not totally surprised. I don't know what to say. Just angry and lost and confused and disappointed and upset. And I'm warning you like you're dead, even though I'm talking to you on the phone. It's taking everything I have to process and to maintain my sanity. Joel Michael, quote, I just, I think about you all the time. 
you were the only good thing in my life. Wow. The only good thing in his unimaginably privileged life, which he chose to not populate with any family members or friends, was this one guy. Maybe they were more than friends. I know. Because that sounds sounds intimate. But you know what? That's not listed anywhere. I'm not placing anything on anybody or casting any kind of expectations. It's just a thought that briefly landed in my head. And if that's the case, I feel even worse for poor Michael McCracken, who is probably having an awful time reconciling a lot of things right now. Yeah. It was interesting that he, because what was he saying that he's not surprised? I don't know. Yeah. It was, a, it was a confusing conversation. It is. And there's only little snippets of it anywhere mm-hmm. available. You can't That's really listen true. to so the whole thing. So there's probably things. Yeah. I think he was saying, like, I wasn't surprised because he's always been this, like, weird guy. He's like, right. I heard this about you. I can't. I wish I could say I was surprised you did this, but I'm not. I'm just sad. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was, like, kind of weirdly revealing and also weirdly sterile, you mm-hmm. know? Because this is the only person in his life. He has no other people. This guy was walking out in the world completely anonymous. He had no friends to check in with, no nothing which is one of the scariest parts of this case. But let's not finish on that. Let's finish on statements from Joel and Lisa's family, who lost two wonderful, warm, and caring parents in one fell swoop. A family who will never be able to shake this event from their minds, no matter how much they deserve to. Quote, This has impacted my kids, the defendant's half-sister. This is like a court quote. Michelle Tyler said, Quote, And for that, I will never be able to forgive. I rest easy knowing that God is okay with my choice not to forgive someone that has murdered my parents. Um, We'll go on to another quote. Dad was my best friend, says Angela Crane. And I'll never, that's, that's their other daughter, obviously. And I'll never get to hear his laugh again or his incredible hugs. I'll never get to sit and banter with him and hear the same stories we've all heard over and over. But they're still just as hilarious because dad was such a storyteller. Then she went on to speak about Lisa. Quote, She was the most loving and giving person I've ever met. She would give the shirt off her back to anyone. She was my best friend, too. They were both robbed of seeing their grandkids grow up. And there lies the real tragedy. This family, a family who loved each other and enjoyed their time together, was torn apart by one man's incomprehensible greed and inability to see his life as a product of his own choices. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that is story. It's hard because we don't know... We don't know much about him. No. Like, nobody There's no way to know because (laughs) usually you find out things from people who knew them. Like, we covered Ted Bundy. There were plenty of people who knew Ted Bundy and could talk about him, women, friends. Mm -hmm. You know, Ed Kemper was the same. He knew people. They talked to people. Even Jeffrey Dahmer had people that knew him in his life, even though he was kind of reclusive. People still knew Jeff. He went out to bars. He did stuff. There's none of that here. He reminds me, Joel Michael. Mm Reminds me of the kind of scary that we were warned about growing up. Like the kid that didn't talk much and that kept to himself. He seems like the kind of person where if we knew more about his childhood, we'd be like, oh, he shot kittens in a trash can and probably lit fires and wet the bed and connect all the dots. Right. It just feels like there was – I mean, I'm sure there's mental illness there too. There's no way there's not. But there is no um, psychiatric profile anywhere on this guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I think he deserves a lot of – saving again an unrepentant dis- like person that committed a disgusting crime i guess i mean will he have so i'm sorry did he get sentenced to death or is it no, just life no life he has 130 years so i wonder if there'll be any other like psychological information that comes know. out that I he think- might have something because i mean just based on the little bit of his childhood the fact that his family will say that he didn't laugh with them yeah. and he didn't really he just 
there was hardly any emotion. Yeah, that's a dark kid. That clearly a dark kid. So maybe there was like a lapse there. Possible. Yeah, just a lapse that doesn't allow him to accept, I don't know. Does he have psychopathic tendencies? What, Mm -hmm. like where, we don't really know. And I don't know how the prison system works in Tennessee. I don't know if there's mandatory um, psychological help Mm -hmm. or if it's voluntary. Right, so he might not want it. He's for sure not getting it because he's already telling his roommate he's going to gouge his eyes out. True. Cellmate, sorry, I know they don't have a roommate. So he's, he's really not looking to like do better and he told his one one and only person in the world to just consider him dead and move on doesn't sound like someone who's getting therapy no definitely not so yeah it's i never heard that before no and and it's crazy because i know that it's kind of happening it just happened like they just finished the sentencing i I realize i didn't put the date of his sentencing and that is my fault i'm sorry I, i mean his his sentencing was clearly um more recent because of the you can see like the COVID precautions, unless they just put a face shield on him like Hannibal Lecter. Says here he was convicted October 2nd, 2020. 2020. Yeah, I see that now. So, okay, this happened during COVID time. So that's why everybody's like shielded up. If you go, I mean, his whole trial is online. You can see it. You can watch it. You can watch the walkthroughs. You can, there's, this is a very, very well documented court-wise case. So if you have, you, you have the desire to explore it more fully, you can do so. And I will, there's a lot of stuff in our photo suite, obviously, that'll help you out with it, but I, I'm not going to put anything that's like too horrible for Instagram in it, but yeah, there's a lot out there. So yeah, that's my Thanksgiving case. Wow. <laughs> Up until I saw his photo, I unfortunately was imagining George Michael from oh, Arrested no. Development. Oh no, Christmas I was time. just, yeah. <laughs> I did plant that in your head. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely uh, not. He's very different looking. Very different looking. Uh, not the same. But that's who I was just like, <laughs> I know another. No, he's like, like a pasty squid of a man. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ugh. yeah, it's not It's not great. What a terribly sad story. Yeah. Toast? Toast. All right. Well, to the sisters. <laughs> yeah. To, to Joel Sr. and Lisa and their mm-hmm. three daughters. Yeah. And their the whole family, like the kids and things who really, God, went through it. And to McCracken. Oh, poor Michael McCracken. I do feel sorry for him. That's your, like, your guy, your friend, your best best friend in in your whole adult life in the whole world, and that's what happens. That's a lot to to grapple with. And I could also imagine that he's probably dealing with the stress of people wanting him to have answers for them. Which I'm sure he doesn't. Yeah, he's just like, well, you know, if you knew him so well, what was he like? You know, but I'm sure he— yeah, I'm sure he, he might know a little bit more, but, like, yeah. he doesn't have to— No, he gave him what he could. You know, he was, like, yeah. a weird guy. Stayed in his room a lot. He was got more reclusive as he got older, and then then they faded out of touch, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, but, yeah. What was the dog's name? Oh, and Jake the dog. Jake. So cheers. Jake. Cheers to everyone, except Joel Michael. Yeah, not him. Bye, bye, bye. Right, and we have three new patrons. <gasps> three! Hooray! Yes. We have Anna Marie. Amy Lynn, and Sarah Rumpeltz. Cheers to our three new wonderful patrons. Thank you guys for supporting us. We love you. We hope you find our extra content fun and interesting. There will be more of it coming soon. So be on the lookout for for Thanksgiving 3. Mm-hmm. Not 2. Not 2, but 3. Because there isn't a 2. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's all I have for this week. 
And if our family bonds weren't stronger than dollars, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. No pie? Well, then no Thanksgiving. Agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. All right, then. <laughs> um, 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 um. <laughs> <laughs> the